Uh, if you've ever stopped in my office, you may have noticed this, uh, this picture hanging on the wall. Uh, my dad actually bought this picture for my grandma when he was in the Navy, so even before I was born. And uh, um, it hung there in her dining room for years and years and years. And when I was a little boy, I used to go over, and uh, I don't know if you can see, but on the uh, lower left-hand corner, there's like a little black dot. That's actually a little twist knob. And if you twist that, there's a light inside of it that makes the halo and the moon shine uh, kind of more brightly. I, I actually tried to take a picture of it, but it just kind of washed out so you would lose the actual image. But uh, uh, I used to do that every, every time I went over there when I was a little kid. And uh, when grandma um, was downsizing to move into an assisted living, um, she gave that picture to me. And so now it hangs on the wall in my office. You know, the, the picture shows Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I don't know if you can notice, but kind of in the lower right, right behind Jesus, there's the disciples. They're asleep. And it, and it helps us to recount that, that event that uh, you know, Jesus, as he gathered in, in the garden right before he was betrayed, he, he prayed. And prayer was it's a very important part of, of Jesus' life and, and part of his ministry. You know, the Gospels record many times that Jesus would get up early in the morning to go off to pray or, or, or he would leave and, and go off by himself to have time to spend with the Father and, and, and to pray. And he actually prayed so frequently that uh, the disciples asked him about it. You know, Please teach us how to pray because clearly you're an expert because you do it all the time. And he taught them uh, this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father so that they would know how to pray, so that we would know how to pray. And even the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we find Jesus praying. And I don't mean, you know, this picture right here where he's praying in the garden. Even before this, while he's at dinner with the disciples, John records a long conversation that takes place during the Last Supper. And in John chapter 17, he records what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer. And our gospel lesson this morning was a portion of that prayer. As Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed for their protection. But then he said, I'm not praying for these ones alone. And we find out that he's also praying for us. Did you notice that when I read it? That he was praying for you? And me, he says, uh, I do not ask for these only. He's not just praying for the disciples gathered around the table, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. You know, these, these apostles, they, they are the ones who carried God's word. They carried Jesus' words to us. So each week we gather here in church and we, we have this Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a, a gospel reading. Well, the New Testament and the gospels were written by the apostles or people who were very closely connected with them, who learned what Jesus said, who learned about him through those apostles. And the Bible records the disciples' words. And as they're recording the disciples' words, what they're actually recording are Jesus' words. Because what they're proclaiming, it's not their ideas. They're proclaiming what Jesus taught them. 
They're writing down what they've learned from Jesus, what they learned from his Holy Spirit. And when we open the Bible, this is their testimony. That God uses their word to create and sustain faith in us. Faith that receives the gift of forgiveness and salvation. We have a little bit of an example of this in our our first reading today, the one from Acts, where the the disciples gather together and and they're in prayer and and they're searching the scriptures and they're trying to figure out what the next step for them is, although they they knew that they were supposed to go back to Jerusalem. That's where they were. And they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, As they're in prayer and as they're studying God's word, uh, it became clear to them somehow that they were supposed to fill Judas' role as an apostle. And so they looked around and they said, well, what, what kind of qualifications are we looking for for somebody in this, this role? Uh, you know, we need somebody who has seen what Jesus did across his ministry, who was who a witness to the resurrection. It became clear to them that they needed somebody to join them in sharing this word, proclaiming this word about Jesus' resurrection that's going to help people come to faith. They needed someone to join them in preaching God's word so that we could believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior from sin and death. And the apostles understood that that, that Jesus would use them, use their word to preach the message of his death and resurrection all the way down to today. That he would use them there in Jerusalem all the way to Hudson, Ohio which they wouldn't have called it Hudson, Ohio at that time. They probably would have just called it the ends of the earth because it doesn't get much more ends of the earth from Jerusalem than right here where we're at. And it's an amazing and beautiful thing. So there they are, and they recognize that they need somebody to, to join in this role, not just because, oh, hey, we need 12, not just because, you know, we feel like this is a, a good number to have, but because of the task, the task that Jesus prayed about on that night when he was with them, that they, through their word, would share the hope that Jesus gives to us, that he needed people who would testify the account of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, that he would share what he taught through these disciples. And this is what Jesus was praying about. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. And then he prayed that we may be one, just as he and the Father are one. Uh, Last night I I, I spoke about this uh, uh, same text with Rejoicing Spirits group. And uh, one of the, uh, the dads came up to me after and he says, there are way too many pronouns in that reading. Go back over it later, because holy smokes, it just kind of goes back between he and I and they and whom, and it's all over the place, and it takes a little while to sort some of that out. But he's praying that about this unity, this oneness that we have with Jesus, that Jesus has with the Father, and because we have unity and oneness with Jesus, we have with the Father. And for that matter, we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, through the work that Jesus has done and the reconciliation that we have in Christ. And as we think about oneness and we think about the church, it's good to ask, how do we become one? 
And that's been the million-dollar question since pretty much forever. And so maybe an oversimplification of history might be helpful here. There's a romantic notion that the early church was perfect in every way that it was unified, that it was always doing the right things, teaching the right things, and and believing the right things. And there's some truth in that. They they were doing really good things. They gathered around the apostles' teaching, because, as I said before, the apostles' teaching is Jesus' teaching, delivered through the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit. They gave generously. They prayed. They, they, They celebrated the sacraments. Amazing, beautiful, wonderful things happened in the early church. But the early church had its problems too. There was a lot of division in the early church. Some of those divisions were ethnic. Some of them were about doctrine. Some of them were about moral behavior and what was acceptable and not acceptable. Some were political. Some came down to kind of a cult of personality. But there were all kinds of divisions that took place there. And the church, you, know, you, watch, you watch what happens across history. They, they become rather united, at least structurally. Uh, eventually, the Bishop of Rome, that guy that we call the Pope, uh, he became rather dominant. And he unified the church in a sense But then in 1054, it split east and west. The Orthodox Church, maybe you've heard of them, in the east. And what we would call the Roman Catholic Church in the west. Another big division taking place there. And that lasted for about 500 years until about 1517. There was a new split when Luther posted 95 Theses. And we call that the Reformation. But instead of a clean crack like it happened with the Orthodox and the Catholics, East and West, it, it was kind of like a, a spider web of, of breaking into new church bodies. And the image that I often think of is that of a windshield when it breaks. You know, this windshield's pretty cracked up, isn't it? Something bad happened there. Um, and there are lines all over it. But let me ask you, how many, how many windshields are in that picture? There's one. Just one. It's got a lot of lines across, a lot of cracks in it, but there is just one. And in a similar way, all of us who believe in Jesus are one. And Jesus died and he rose for us. Jesus has forgiven our sins. His Holy Spirit has given us faith to receive him and to believe in him. Now, I'm not saying that this is, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about and hoping for when he prayed for us to be one. But I am saying that Jesus has this amazing way of redeeming our brokenness and using it to display his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. And this is true in the church. 
and it's true in our lives individually. Remember that Jesus came to save sinners. He came for broken people. And when you get a bunch of broken people together, guess what you get? A broken organization. Does that nullify God's mercy? Does that change Jesus' love? He brings reconciliation into our broken relationships by forgiving our sins. He puts us on equal footing. So when we find ourselves in conflict with each other, when we find that we've sinned against each other, we look at each other as people who are forgiven and forgiven. Living in forgiveness together. And that is a beautiful, humble place to begin when we are dealing with others when we've been hurt by them or they've been hurt by us. You know, I'm someone that Jesus died for. And so is she. And so is he. And so is that person over there. And so is that person right next to me. And if Jesus died to forgive us, isn't that a beautiful reason to forgive one another and to be reconciled? That's a humble kind of oneness. You know, too often we think of the oneness of God's people uh, as having the same vision, the same doctrine, the same agenda, or the same politics. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of that. Those, those can be very helpful and very good in a lot of ways. But these take a back seat to the oneness that we have as forgiven sinners because of our oneness in Jesus. Our oneness is in the Father's love. The Father's love that's revealed in Christ, incarnate, crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again. This is the oneness that Jesus actually wants the world to see. The world doesn't need to see our righteousness, nor does it need to see our goodness, both of which are rather overblown anyhow. The world definitely does not need to see our judgment. It stands judged and condemned already. It doesn't need us to pile on. The world needs to see our oneness as forgiven sinners. Because it's in that forgiveness that we have received that they will see the love of God. Jesus said in his prayer that he had made the Father known to the disciples. He introduced them to, to the God who desires mercy, not sacrifice. He introduced them to the God who forgives the sins of the people, people like us, to restore the image of God within us. He introduced them to the God who redeems our lives and transforms us by leading us into repentance all of which is rooted in his love and forgiveness. But notice that Jesus says that I will continue to make the Father's name known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is still making the Father known in the world. And he does that 
by loving us. He does it by loving us so much that he forgives our sins for Jesus' sake. Fractured though we may be, we are one in his forgiveness, in his salvation, in in, in the hope that we have for new life in Christ. New life that's based in the hope of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. We are one in Jesus' loving forgiveness so that the world may know him. Live in Jesus' love for you. His love for your family, his love for your neighbors, and pray that Jesus will make himself known through you, through the forgiveness that he pours out on you. Pray that he will make himself known through us as a congregation through the forgiveness he gives to us here over and over again. Pray that Jesus would make the Father known through the love that we receive in him so that the world may believe in him and receive the Father's love too. Amen.